Hi, everybody, and welcome to an episode of Coach's Corner. Today, I'm going to talk to you about depression and anxiety. And I was inspired to make this the topic of this week for a few reasons. First, October 10th is World Mental Health Day. And the objective of that is raising awareness of mental health issues around the world to really mobilize efforts in support of mental health. Because our mental health is a massive part of our overall health and well-being. The second reason is I get a lot of questions from you about depression and anxiety. So I know it's something a lot of you are facing. And I want to support you in really overcoming depression and anxiety. Because I believe you can. More on that later. And finally, my inspiration is because depression and anxiety are things that I've dealt with a lot in my own life. When I was around 11 or 12, I was diagnosed with depression and put on antidepressants and was on a variety of different antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication until I was around 30. And I'll share more about my personal story later in this episode. But I share that now because I want you to know this is something that's very close to my heart. And since it's something I've shifted in my own life, I want to share how I did it so that you can see it's possible to shift and possibly you can shift it as well. So a couple things I want to say before I really dive in. And the first thing is this, and this may be the most important thing that I say in this episode. So really, really hear this. If you are dealing with depression and or anxiety, I want you to know you are not alone. You're not alone in the sense that other people are dealing with this and you're not alone. And even people that aren't dealing with depression and anxiety are there to support you. This is not something you have to face alone. So much of what perpetuates depression and anxiety is shame, is self-judgment around it. And so it's so important not to suffer in silence. What makes depression worse and anxiety more severe is a feeling of isolation, is a feeling of feeling like you got to do it all on your own, which is so lonely and so overwhelming. And here's some statistics to back up what I'm saying. It's estimated that 16.2 million adults in the U.S. alone, or 6.7% of American adults, have had at least one major depressive episode in a given year. And major depressive disorder is different from persistent depressive disorder, which means you may have had a single bout of major depression or you have recurring episodes. Persistent depressive disorder is chronic low-level depression that's lower in severity than major depression and lasts two years or longer. But if you're in it, it can feel pretty severe. And those ongoing feelings of deep sadness and hopelessness or loneliness, lack of motivation, in addition to other symptoms like low energy and indecision, occurs in 1.5% of U.S. adults in a given year. It's also more prevalent in women than men. Now, depression and anxiety disorders are different, but people with depression often experience symptoms similar to those of an anxiety disorder, such as nervousness, irritability, and problems sleeping and concentrating. But both depression and anxiety have their own causes and their own emotional and behavioral symptoms. And there's other kinds of depression, like seasonal depression, postpartum depression. I am not here to diagnose you. I am not here to put a label on you. I'm just here to offer you support whether you've been given a diagnosis or maybe you just feel depressed or anxious, wherever you are in your journey, please know you are not alone. 
Second thing I want to say here is I believe depression and anxiety are curable, but I really want to emphasize this is my belief based on my personal experience. Here's the thing. I had to believe that in order to be free of my own struggle with depression, but I'm not making a generalized statement that it's 100% curable in every person because I'm not qualified to do that. But I will say this, if you want to be free of depression and or anxiety, a big step is believing it's actually possible. Even if you don't know the how right now, believing it is possible is a major step. I'm going to share how I freed myself of it. It was a long journey, but the most important shift I made was believing that it was possible. I had to drop the label that I had a life sentencing diagnosis that I couldn't get out of. And this leads me to my next point. Depression and anxiety aren't necessarily bad. There were so many gifts that came from my depression. It really was the trigger. It really was the inspiration that had me do deep work, that had me look deep at myself, that had me finally feel the feelings I had suppressed for years that led to more feelings of joy and passion and inspiration. And anxiety is often an alarm system for us. And to a point, it's a healthy coping strategy. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later, but I want to take the judgment off of depression and anxiety because when there's the judgment on these things, there's shame. And shame makes it really hard to heal because shame reinforces the judgment that something is wrong with us. And as long as we believe something is wrong with us and we have shame about that, then it's hard to lean into the belief that we can be free of it. I also want to emphasize here that everything I say is a buffet. Take only what works for you. In other words, put only on your plate what is appetizing to you what resonates, what feels right, and leave the rest behind. And if you're working with a doctor, coach, or therapist, perhaps run some of the ideas or suggestions or insights you get from me by your support team. And one of the major suggestions I'll be giving you today is to have a support team if you're dealing with depression or anxiety. Actually, even if you're not, we all should have a support team. And at the end of the show, I'm going to be giving you a link to a tool that I've used a lot in my own journey. It's been incredibly helpful as I move through my own struggles with depression and anxiety. So before we dive in, I want us all to take a really nice deep breath together. Here we go. Inhale. And let it go. And just know in this moment that all is well. And just know if you're really struggling right now, depression, anxiety, sadness, overwhelm, pain, heartache, whatever it is, you're going to be okay. Actually, the truth is you already are okay. We are way more resilient and stronger than we think. And one of my favorite definitions of healing, something that I learned in my graduate degree program at the University of Santa Monica, which is healing is the application of love to the places inside that hurt. So as I explain where depression and anxiety come from, from my point of view, and I offer some tips, I really want you to receive them in the energy of love. Approach your healing journey with love. 
with love instead of fear of, oh my gosh, am I ever going to get better? With love instead of judgment of, oh, why can't I get out of this? I'm depressed. I'm anxious. What's wrong with me? Healing is the application of love to the places inside that hurt. So let's begin with the question, where does depression come from? Well, of course, there can be hormonal, biological, genetic, and neurological reasons, which I'm not qualified to explain. Not a doctor. But I am familiar with more of the emotional and psychological triggers, such as not feeling safe to express oneself, especially as a child, and having to keep things inside, being a highly expressive, sensitive, empathic, or creative child, and being in an environment where that wasn't encouraged, where you were told, shake it off, good girls don't cry, big boys don't cry, don't be angry be good. Children are to be heard, not seen. Any of those things create a habit of suppressing, repressing, which ultimately is one of the main causes of depression. You're keeping your feelings, your authentic self-expression inside. Another cause is feeling ostracized or abandoned, which perpetuates the feeling of not being loved or not belonging which then makes us feel a tremendous sense of isolation or like there's something wrong with us. So whether you were teased or bullied, whether you had a parent abandon you, or whether your depression was caused by a breakup, what's really happening there is it's triggering one of the major core wounds of all human beings, which is the sense of separation, which is a total misunderstanding. We're not separated. We're all one. We are all connected and we thrive on a feeling of belonging. So when that's threatened in any way, all of a sudden we feel so, so alone. And from my point of view, loneliness is one of the main causes of depression. We need other humans. Another reason is looking outside of ourselves for happiness. Anytime we think something or someone or some goal or some result is going to make us happy, we're going to feel depressed because Nothing external can make us feel a certain way long-term. And the striving for that external happiness eventually is going to cause exhaustion and depletion, which then can cause depression. So we have to stop looking outside of ourselves for happiness. And one of the final things I'll mention in terms of things that I think can cause depression or make us feel depressed is believing we're not enough in some way. When we start looking at others, when we start comparing, when we start drawing conclusions of the reason I don't have this is because I'm not enough, when we lack worthiness, when we lack the ability to really receive, when we think we're not deserving, when we think we have to earn love, then of course we're going to feel depressed because on a deep down level, we're buying into a massive misunderstanding that we're dysfunctional in some way that something's wrong with us. And that is such a heavy, heavy burden to carry, which can make us feel depressed. So now let's shift to anxiety. A lot of times we start to feel anxiety at a very young age and we feel it when we have any uncertainty or chaos in our life as a child. So if you had an addict parent, if you grew up in a home where there was a lot of fighting, if you moved around a lot, if there was just uncertainty or chaos or all of a sudden like there was a curveball that was thrown at you, you probably felt a sense of anxiety as a child because there was uncertainty. You didn't feel safe. There wasn't reassurance. And so you created that feeling of anxiety, which is 
like anticipation of something bad happening in the future. That's basically what anxiety is. It's not being in the present moment. It's worrying about something. It's having this kind of racing feeling of nervousness because on some level, consciously or unconsciously, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. If you missed my last coaching episode with Danielle on overcoming negative thinking, I talk a lot about how that feeling of anxiety, that obsessive thinking, that negative thinking, that anxious kind of feeling and thinking often comes from growing up with chaos or uncertainty. So anxiety gives us a false sense of control because when we're not comfortable with uncertainty, when we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, when we have that kind of feeling of nervousness, anxiety gives us something to do with that energy. So on some level, it's a coping strategy. We think we're preparing for the bad thing by being anxious about it. Anxiety can also be a learned behavior. If you grew up with a parent or parents who are very anxious, that can be a learned behavior. It can also be something that's triggered by your environment. Too much caffeine, too much time on the computer, not enough sleep. I'll talk about some more of those factors and how you can shift them a little bit later. But the number one cure for anxiety is really being in the present moment. Unless you're suffering from a very severe anxiety disorder, which I would encourage you to get medical treatment for, most of you who are suffering from anxiety are feeling anxiety when you're thinking about something that is in the future, when you're thinking about something that hasn't yet happened. So the quick fix for anxiety is coming into the present moment. And I'll give you a couple more tips on that after I share my personal story and dive into depression a little deeper. So another deep breath. (sighs) Because as we talk about things like depression and anxiety, it's important to have lightness to it. Not lightness in the sense of we're not taking it seriously, but we don't want this heaviness like, oh, this is such this heavy, big thing that now we're going to talk about. I think that's why mental health is such an issue is because there's so much shame and there's so much heaviness and there's so much darkness about it. If only we could talk about it. Like, look at how often we talk about the common cold. (laughs) There's no shame about that. If we could talk about our feelings of depression and anxiety with that kind of freedom, I bet a lot less of us would suffer with it. So here's my story. As a child, I feel I was very sensitive, very empathic. I could feel and sense a lot of things. I also think I was incredibly creative. And I never really felt like I quite fit in. I never really felt comfortable with my peers. I always felt a little bit different. And that was confirmed when I got teased, when girls stopped liking me, when some nasty things were said about me. Then it reinforced my belief that I was different in some way. And it also caused me to really, really believe that something was terribly wrong with me. And there were some other difficult things going on in my life at that time where I just... I don't remember this clearly, but my sense is I just made a decision to just kind of shut down, to just turn it off. Like it was too painful to feel anymore. And my parents didn't know what to do. And of course, being the loving parents they were, they took me to doctors and doctors at the time really recommended drugs. And so I was put on Prozac at about 11 or 12. And I truly believe that was the best thing for me at the time. That was the best that everyone around me could do at the time. and. Looking back on it and also talking to my parents about it, it was helpful to me at the time. Now, I'm going to share a little bit later how I got off antidepressants. And I want to say right now, 
I'm not pro or against medication for depression or anxiety or any mental disorders. I think medication can be very helpful in certain situations. It is a personal decision. It is a personal choice. And I'm just sharing what works for me. So although I got some relief from being on the medication and seeing a psychiatrist, oh, there was also a lot of shame about it. I would see my psychiatrist, Dr. Roberts, who I still remember during school days. And so I'd miss class and I'd have to bring a doctor's note back to school. And I remember whiting out the psychiatrist part because I didn't want the volunteers in the attendance office to know that I was seeing a psychiatrist. And I share this because I hope that we can take the stigma and the shame off of mental illness. It just makes it worse. And I know navigating it myself was hard enough, but keeping it a secret made it even harder. I still remember even into my 20s where I'd be on overnight trips with friends or I'd be dating someone, I would hide my medication. I wouldn't want anyone to see it. I wouldn't want anyone to know I was depressed or I suffered from anxiety because I truly believed it was a sign of weakness. So that shame around it, I think, made it worse for me. That shame and that secrecy made it something that kept me very, very separate from other people and from myself and from my feelings and from my own intuition. And in my adolescence, all the way through my 20s, I was seeing psychologists, I was seeing therapists, and I could really psychoanalyze and explain myself to a T. And I was stable. I was stable, but I still really relied on the medication. There are a couple times where I tried to wean myself off of it, and I just really couldn't fully get off of it. I just really dipped back into that depression. Now, if you know any of my story, you also know that in my early 20s, I was building a career as a Hollywood agent, and I was working my way up. I was very functional, even though I was depressed. However, the more I did, the more I'd also experience anxiety. So not only was I taking antidepressants, but I also then had all this anxiety and that's when I really started taking things like Xanax to calm down the anxiety. So depression can look different for different people. For some people, they lack motivation completely. It's like hard to get out of bed. For other people like me, you can function externally, but internally there's a heaviness There's a massive internal critic. I think this is another thing, and I didn't mention this earlier. I think this is another thing that really perpetuates depression and even causes it to some degree is that we become so freaking hard on ourselves. The voice in our own head becomes so nasty. It's so many negative comments that listening to it all day long would make anyone feel depressed. So that was another big thing for me was just this kind of nasty inner critic that was going And a sense that even though like at times nothing felt terribly wrong, nothing felt totally right either. I felt a sense of numbness. It was hard for me to really let go, to really laugh, to really feel free. And I just never felt like I could relax. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. So around the age of 23, I met my first coach named Mona and I went to her because I was in a relationship and I was experiencing anxiety about that. But That's the reason I thought I went to her. The reason I discovered I went to her is because she really was the one that helped me navigate my own healing of my depression and anxiety. She was the first quote unquote professional I saw that said to me, you know, it is possible for you to be off antidepressants. Consider you're not a depressed person. And I said, no, I'm, I'm diagnosed with depression. I have a chemical imbalance because that's what I'd always been told. 
but she really held the belief strongly that I could get off of them and held it strongly until I could start believing it. And it wasn't until about six or seven years later, after a lot of personal growth books, after a lot of courses, after working with Mona, after somatic therapy, which I'll talk about a little later, after learning my food intolerances, which I'll also talk about, it took a while to really believe, okay, perhaps I'm not quote unquote, a depressed person. Perhaps I can shift the wiring in my brain. Perhaps if I shift the wiring in my brain, I can shift the chemicals in my brain and I won't be so imbalanced anymore. I really started to study the biology of belief and how our mind creates our reality. And I needed to study all of that. I needed to learn. I needed to kind of reprogram my mind because so much of my conditioning and education had been around something happens to your body, you have no choice, you take medication to make it better. And so I had to recondition my thinking and really learn that, wow, my mind is powerful. And yes, it may be able to create illness, but it also can create healing. And my brain is wired this way, not just because of biology and genetics, but because of my perpetual thoughts. So if I can start to shift my thoughts and make some changing in my emotions and my behavior and my overall well-being, perhaps I can really shift my brain chemistry. So I had to really research. I really had to educate myself first because my rational mind really needed that. So that was the first key thing, like really believing it was possible and re-educating myself, updating my belief system was huge. The second thing was to really dial in my nutrition and look at my food intolerances. One thing that I learned in my 20s is I had an intolerance to gluten. Now, it was subtle because it doesn't upset my stomach, but it makes my brain really foggy and it makes me feel a little lethargic and sad. So that was a huge thing that I wasn't even aware of that I was doing almost on a daily basis that was an easy shift to make. The other thing I did is I cut out alcohol completely for I think about two years. Now, I was never a big drinker, but I do know that alcohol is a depressant. (laughs) So here I was trying to get off antidepressants, trying to feel less depressed. A glass of wine wasn't going to help. So I made the commitment. I wanted to give my body, my brain, my biology, every support system that possibly could. So I've got off gluten. I got off refined sugar. I got off alcohol completely. And that really, really did help give me the strength in my system and my well-being that made the rest of everything that I'm going to share with you a lot easier. Next big thing I did, and this was probably one of the hardest parts, is I started to feel my feelings. Remember how I said earlier that so much of depression is suppression and repression? Feeling my feelings was something that was uncomfortable for me. Probably, if you've listened to this show for a while, you've heard me tell a story about how Mona in one of our very first sessions came in with a gigantic pillow, a tennis racket, and two gardening gloves. And she said, put these gloves on, grab this racket, hit this pillow, and scream. And I said, why? And she said, because you're angry. And I said, I'm not angry. I really didn't think I was. I thought I was just depressed. I didn't think I was angry. What was I going to be angry about? But Boy, when I started to learn about anger work and I started to learn about emotional release work, I was angry. I had a lot of anger and a lot of sadness that I stored inside. And and let me just say this, compared to so many people that have been on this show and so many people listening and so many people that I've come across, my life was a lot easier than a lot of you out there listening have had it. 
That said, I still had my struggles and I had to honor those. And part of how I kind of bypassed feeling my feelings is dismissing my own struggles. I thought, oh, well, they weren't that bad. A lot of people have it worse. But in a lot of ways, that was a cop-out from feeling my own feelings. So I had to take ownership of my own feelings and my own experiences and learn how to feel my feelings, learn how to yell, how to scream, how to cry in a way that actually released my feelings, not recycled them. Now, this isn't the space for me to go into teaching you how to do that right here, right now. Expectation Hangover, my last book, I teach a lot about emotional release work and also my mastery course, my personal mastery course, which I'm going to give you a discount to. I'm going to give you the code for that at the end of this podcast. I also teach you how to do emotional release work. It's much different than cathartic, just screaming or crying. I teach you a process where you really learn how to move through your emotions with compassion feel them, express them, and ultimately get to a place of forgiveness. So you release them from your body and you change your belief system around them. So that was a really big thing for me. And here's the other thing I learned about feeling my feelings. So much about getting out of depression is getting out of stuckness, getting out of that feeling of just heaviness. And it's really hard to get to happiness when you're depressed. Getting to anger is actually a good step. Anger actually starts to move you out of depression. Now, Let me clarify, I'm not saying going and being angry at others. I'm not saying going and yelling at others, but doing the kind of anger release work I learned from Mona and that I've adapted and teach in a way that works for me and my clients and the people that come to retreats, it really created momentum. Kind of feeling that rawness, that release, at least gets you out of that stuckness feeling of depression. So I really want to say to you, don't be afraid of your anger, especially to the women, because that's something that we aren't really taught to release. And for the men, a lot of times you're taught to release it in violent ways. So learning how to express and release anger in a healthy way is really important. The other thing that was so huge for me in terms of momentum and shifting brain chemistry is movement, exercise, dance, movement, lifting weights, boxing, anything that gets that body moving is going to change the chemicals in your brain, it's going to give you endorphins. It's going to make you feel productive. I know how heavy depression can feel, but honestly, just take it one step at a time. I was at an event this past weekend and a woman was sharing a little bit about her journey with depression and even times where she was so low that there were suicidal thoughts and her mantra became one step at a time. You know, she'd wake up in the morning and she feels so heavy, so depressed. And she's like, what's my next step? Get out of bed. What's my next step? Make the bed. What's my next step? Get dressed. So sometimes you just have to go step by step by step. And you may have to take those little micro steps. And so you get outside for a walk or you get to the gym, but that movement and that momentum is so important. So one step at a time. Other thing I did, supplementation. I saw a nutritionist. Now, When I was in my journey of getting off antidepressants, I had resigned from working as an agent. I was working as a personal trainer. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I took the money that I had and I invested it into my health because I knew that was the best investment I could make. So I found nutritionists. I researched people who were good at connecting brain chemistry to food and supplementation. I knew if I was going to be coming off medication after being on it for nearly 20 years, I needed good supplementation. I'm not going to tell you the supplements I took because they were right for 
me, which is why it's so important to find a practitioner that you can really work with. So I had a medical doctor that was helping me wean off my antidepressants and I had a nutritionist and someone that really knew about supplementation and Chinese medicine and herbs and acupuncture that was really helping my body regulate. So it was a big thing. Alternative medicine was huge for me. Like I said, supplementation, acupuncture, Chinese herbs, body work, all of that stuff was a big part of my healing journey. There's so many resources out there. There are so many healers all over the world. Ask if you're ready to shift depression and anxiety, ask universe, bring me the healers, bring me the teachers, bring me the resources. Trust me, they will start to show up. And in today's day and age where there's so many resources at the tips of our fingertips through our phone or internet, there really is no excuse for finding the resources and the healers and the teachers that are right for you. Next, human connection. I had to learn how to make friends. That was a big part of not feeling depressed because a big part of my depression was feeling alone, feeling isolated. So I had to learn how to make friends. I had to ask people, hey, I really like you. Do you want to be my friend? I had to set up friend dates. I had to take myself to places where I could have human connection. Not just being with other people, but also physical connection with people. I asked people for more hugs. I put more energy into my social life and into my friendships and really finding like-minded people, going to personal development events, going to yoga classes, going to places where I knew other people who valued personal growth and development would be there and really setting an intention to establish those connections. Sleep. Sleep was massive. When I was getting off antidepressants, I needed more sleep. It was, I think, a time when my body and my brain chemistry were like rewiring itself. So I did what I needed to do. No screen time, two hours before bed. No eating, two hours before bed. I took sleeping supplements like melatonin. I really watched any caffeine or sugar at the end of the day. I learned biofeedback and meditation so I could get deep sleep. I made sure my room was super quiet and it was super, super dark. I do this to this day because I know how important sleep is to me. I also took the shame off of it. I reached out to friends. I told them what was going on. I had a support system around me. I had a meditation practice. I strengthened my spiritual connection. So I had support in the unseen realm and with my friends as well. But taking the shame off of it and really sharing, hey, I'm I'm getting off antidepressants right now. Depression and anxiety is something that I've been dealing with was a big part of my healing journey. As was creative expression, writing. I'm not much of a painter, but as I was doing this, I lived across from a CVS, like a drugstore pharmacy, and I would go and get coloring books and crayons. And since I'm not much of an artist, but I did feel like I needed some creative expression, I would color. That was a big outlet for me as well. I mentioned earlier somatic work. Doing emotional release work on my own was a big part of my journey, but finding somatic therapists and going to retreats where there was somatic release work. And P.S., I teach somatic release work at my signature retreat, which is coming up this March. And if you want to go to that, email jill at christinehasser.com or christinehasser.com slash spring dash retreat. But learning how to express those emotions through somatic therapy was big for me. Couple more things. Laughter. Laughter. I watched YouTube videos. Ellen DeGeneres was one of my favorites. I worked on changing my states. I had a habit of being sad. I had a habit of suffering. I had a bit of an addiction to suffering. 
And that's something I'm going to talk about on a future podcast, actually, is this addiction to suffering that a lot of us can get into. And so I had to break that addiction by state changes, by laughing, by dancing, and also by giving. I volunteered a lot when I was working through my own depression. I was of service in a way that felt uplifting to me. I was giving to others. That really helped in my healing journey getting out of my own head, giving to others, being of service, because it also made me feel incredibly purposeful. And the last thing I'll mention here, and I'm not going to go into this too deeply because it is something that is very much an individual journey and an individual choice, is the use of plant medicine. And I'm not going to even go in to explain too much of what that's about, because I believe that if plant medicine or any kind of psychedelic drugs are part of your healing journey, they will show up in your life. Believe me, the person will mention it. Maybe this episode will trigger you to do some research, but that is such an individual choice and something that has to feel like a big, big, huge personal yes for you. But I did want to mention it because it was part of my journey, really healing my depression and getting off antidepressants for good. I can say now that I've been off of them for a decade. I haven't ever felt like I needed to go back on them. Have there been times when I felt sad or depressed? Yeah, actually this past May after I fractured my foot and I came back from Australia and I didn't have a home, there were a couple weeks there that I felt down again and I started to feel myself depressed, to be quite honest. What did I do? I did everything that I just told you to do. I knew, hey, if this worked for me before, I know I can implement these things and I don't have to go deep into depression again. So I think it's important to know that there are times in life where you may feel quote unquote depressed. That doesn't necessarily mean you have depression. It just means that you may be experiencing another growth period, another healing period. And so if you can employ these tools or any tools that work for you, if you can reach out for support, if you can catch it before it goes too deep into the feelings of isolation, lack of motivation, and sadness then you can get to the other side of it faster. Okay, so now let's shift to some of my top tools for dealing with anxiety. Meditation is a huge one. It really teaches you how to manage your thoughts. There's some misunderstandings about meditation, which stop a lot of people from doing it. Maybe you. A lot of those misunderstandings are, well, if I'm not totally thoughtless or if my mind wanders or if I'm not seeing colors or hearing the voices of angels and I'm not meditating. Not true. Meditation isn't necessarily the state of bliss. It can get there. But for most of us, it really is the process and the habit and the practice of calming the mind, of knowing that we have thoughts, but we are not our thoughts, of being able to witness our thoughts and know that we have dominion over them. So sitting in meditation and listening to our breath and observing our thoughts gives us practice of going, ooh, there's the thought. Does that thought feel good? No. Let me shift my thought or let me come back into the present moment. So it really is a practice of watching the mind go away and bringing it back to the present moment. The more you can be in the present moment just by taking a deep breath, focusing on what's around you, the less you'll experience anxiety. Another tool that I use to deal with my anxiety, because my anxiety often is a lot like worry. It's using the imagination poorly. So I just let myself play out my what-if statements. 
what if this, what if this, what if this, what if this? I just let it go to the worst case scenario just to get it out. Oftentimes I'll write that on a piece of paper and then I'll rip it up. And then I'll come up with my best case scenario. What if this actually works out? What if I actually do heal from this? What if everybody loves this? So I create those what if statements that actually make me feel good. But I have found in order to get those what if statements that feel good, sometimes I got to just talk out that worst case scenario or write it out and let it go. Another big thing is just calming my nervous system down. During times in my life where my anxiety has revved up a bit, I cut out caffeine. Again, I make sure my sleep is good. I decrease my exposure to technology and those types of things. I'm not in loud environments. I'm not in big crowds. Now, does this mean like I'm a hermit? No, absolutely not. I'm just a little more mindful of what I expose myself to. If I have anxiety about an upcoming event, I love this tip. I learned this in my NLP training. What I do, let's say I'm nervous about a big speech that I'm giving and I have anxiety about it. So I imagine myself 15 minutes after the successful completion of that event because research has shown that it's about 15 minutes after you complete an event that was kind of nerve-wracking that your nervous system starts to calm down a bit. So using the example of a big speech, I'd imagine myself off the stage 15 minutes later, maybe back in my hotel room or talking to people and answering questions and just feeling calm and proud and excited and grateful. And like I successfully completed that event. I've used that a lot in big speeches or in social events. I've been nervous about anything that brings me any anxiety. If I'm future tripping, I future trip to a desirable destination. And the final thing is to not make anxiety wrong, but to really use it as an alarm system. So, so many of us try to get rid of anxiety, but that's not really effective. The more you focus on it, the more it's kind of there. And this approach of trying to get rid of it makes it feel wrong and perpetuates this internal resistance. And as we know, what we resist persists. So instead of trying to get rid of it or manage it, think of anxiety as your body's alarm system. Now, we need alarm systems in life, but we don't want them to ring and ring and ring for hours. We hear the alarm, we respond to the alert. So think of your anxiety or fear or worry as an alarm going off, alerting you that you've forgotten something really important, like you're enough, you're safe, you're loved, you're going to be okay, you're in this present moment, you're a spiritual being having a human experience. So instead of totally silencing or managing these uncomfortable feelings like anxiety, use them as an alarm system. Thank your anxiety for the reminder that something was off and respond with interest and care. So speaking of responses, I want to shift gears here to those of you who are listening because maybe you're not depressed or anxious, but someone that you love or care about is. How do you help them? Well, first thing I want to say to you is it's not your job to fix them and worrying about them isn't going to do them any good. Praying for them, imagining all the resources and teachers and healers and possibilities coming into their life with ease and grace for their highest good is a much better use of your mental energy. And in terms of what you can do in terms of your involvement, here's a couple of suggestions. First, listen without judgment. Remember how I said so much of my healing from depression and anxiety was taking the shame off of it 
was telling my closest friends, hey, this is what's going on. And them listening without judgment and also listening without giving me a bunch of advice, listening without the intent to fix or heal, just creating a space of unconditional love and judgment-free zone. I really hear you. I really see you. I really believe in you. That was huge. So offer that kind of unconditional support. Just listen closely to what the person says, reflecting back to them. Depression comes from feeling isolated, comes from feeling like you don't belong. So offering someone a feeling of belonging is massive. And second, if you choose, get active in their care. Help with some resources and suggestions like sharing this podcast, sharing some resources for them. If they're nervous about going to a doctor or going to a healer or going to a treatment session or listening to a podcast, say that you'll be there with them. Now I say all this, but I also want to emphasize what I said earlier. It's not your job to fix them. You don't want to get into a codependent thing. You don't want to enable. Remember, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And finally, really stay in contact. Check in. How you doing? Again, once again, sound like a broken record. So much of depression and also so much of anxiety is that feeling of isolation, that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling like you're alone. Oh my gosh. Talk about feeling overwhelmed. If you want to feel overwhelmed and anxious, that feeling like you're alone and no one's there for you, that'll do it. So if you know anyone who is depressed, who is anxious, just reach out. Just reassure them. I'm here. Hey, how you doing? What do you need? Anything you can need support with? And also ask them for help. That was a big gift my friends gave me. Often they'd ask me for help. I remember one of my friends said, hey, I'm moving. You want to come over and help me pack? And actually it was great because it got me out of their own head. So invite them to things, ask them for help. So yes, stay in contact in terms of checking in, but also stay in contact in terms of giving them opportunities to give back, giving them opportunities to feel important, to feel loved, feel needed, to feel invited. So I hope everything I shared today was reassuring. I hope it was helpful. I hope it was encouraging in some ways. Like I said earlier in the show, I have a gift for you. It's called my emotional activator worksheet. And it's one of the ways I learned how to deal with my emotions. It took me a while to feel really comfortable, like screaming and yelling and all those kinds of things. So I started out by journaling and a big part of my journaling were sentence starters, something I learned from my coach, Mona. So the emotional activator worksheet is a collection of sentence starters that are prompts for you to start releasing your emotions through some structured journal writing. So if you'd like that free gift from me, just go to christinehassler.com slash emotions. Again, christinehassler.com slash emotions. It's totally free. You have access to it. Like I said, it was a great start for me and something I still use to this day if I'm feeling a little triggered or a little low because it just helps release and process feelings. And I also mentioned to you that my personal mastery course is a great resource if you're dealing with depression or anxiety, feeling stuck. If your life isn't where you want it to be, Personal Mastery is a collection of all my best tools. It's worksheets, it's videos from me, it's coaching calls, it's live monthly coaching calls where you can get live one-on-one coaching with me. It's a Facebook group where I have four other coaches that are there with me giving you encouragement and advice. It's always open and it's always active and I'm giving you $200 off the price. Just go to christinehasler.com mastery and in the promotional code or discount code section of the form, just enter mastery 200 exclamation mark and mastery is in all caps. So M-A-S-T-E-R-Y 200, the numbers exclamation point. If you have 
any questions about the free gift or mastery or my spring retreat, please email jill at christinehassler.com. The last thing I'll say to you is if you are struggling with anything right now, borrow my belief until yours gets stronger that it is possible to heal it. It is possible to shift it. Leaning into that belief is the most powerful step you can make and you don't have to do it alone. So many resources. There's so much support out there. Take the shame off. Take the burden that you're supposed to figure this out all by yourself off. There is no shame in depression, anxiety, any mental health disorder that you have. There is no shame in that. You are human. This is part of your journey. And one of the most powerful steps you can make right now is to forgive yourself for the belief that there is anything wrong with you or that you're broken or dysfunctional in any way. You're perfect, whole, and complete exactly as you are. I'm sending you so much love, so much compassion. If you have additional questions, please reach out to me on social media. Instagram is where I'm the most. You can also message me on Facebook. You can also send a question or comment to assist at christinehassler.com and Sarah will make sure it gets to me. I'm here as your friend, your guide, your soul sister in this journey. I'm with you. I believe in you. And I love this tribe so very much. Sending you so much love and many blessings. 